welcome to the Hugan Hoff Podcast episode 29. Um, if you would like to visit my website, please feel free to do so at www.hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. If you'd like to send feedback for the show, um, I'd appreciate it. And just send that to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And that will also be on the homepage. So, before we actually start into our topic today, one more time I want to mention that if people are interested at all in the runes, and I think the runes are a, a great thing to learn, especially being Austria, the runes are very important, I suggest you check out the Northern Runes Radio uh, rune series. Uh, Wodenson is doing a podcast on every single rune, and they're they're pretty good podcasts, so just Google Northern Runes Radio and you should find them that way, or just go to my homepage, and I currently have them linked on my homepage. It's just a great series. I think it's very important to learn the runes, and he really goes in depth. So, again, I want to suggest that you read that, or that you listen to that. Now, this time, uh, unfortunately, once again, I do not have lore. That is totally my fault. He, we tried to get together, and um, when I planned to do it, I, I waited too long, and when I planned to do it, something came up from my end. So, yeah, he's not ditching me. It's the other way around. But next month, we're going to get back to the Have Mall, because I really, I really want to get back into the Have Mall. But I, I really need Lore there to bounce ideas off of. But this month we do have a good topic. We're going to go over the Deesir and the Ancestors. We just did our Deesir bloat, so I thought it was um, appropriate. So I guess the first question is, who are the Deesir? And the simplest answer for that, I suppose, is they are our female guardian spirits. They were, they were once people, and I think that's... Uh, key. They were once people, um, our female ancestors, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, our great-great-grandmothers. And when they passed on, the afterlife they've chosen is to uh, watch over their descendants, which are us. So, you know, they're female ancestral spirits who watch over you. So, something that I think we do today is we spend a lot of times working with the gods, which is great, and we absolutely should, and our ancestors absolutely did. But the thing is, our ancestors also worked with things like the Deesir. Uh They also worked with the Alfar and the Land Whites. Sometimes we forget about those. You know, we try to go to the most epic thing that we can see, which in our case is the gods. You know, the gods who are really powerful, have really far down their evolutionary path, if you will. And sometimes we forget about the Land Whites and the Deesir. And I don't I don't want to say they're lesser spirits because that's not the connotation I want to give. They are honorable and good spirits to work with, but they're closer to us. I think that's a better way to put it. They're they're closer to us. They're you know, on this path of of where we are in terms of power, I don't know. I, I'm using a lot of words that I don't like, but I just don't have better ones. Um, but in terms of where we are in power or evolution, maybe, um, the Deesir and the 
landwide and the alfar are closer to us, so they're easier to work with. And our, I think our ancestors really did a lot of work with the Deesir and the landwide and stuff like that. And you see some mention of the Deesir in certain um, pieces of the lore. So what, what's usually happening is in the end of the poetic edits, there's a story that involves a Deesir. Somebody asking about a sword, you know, he asks his Dees where this sword is or what it is, and, you know, she tells him. and gives him a warning about the sword, too. But, you know, that's a place where it, um, where he got advice from the Dees. And in the Heimskringla, there's another story about the Dees. Uh, again, this person asking for advice on an upcoming battle, I think it is, or, or something like that. And I, I think it's, um, will he win the battle, or maybe should he uh, engage in the battle at all? And these are some things that I think are good for asking for the Dees, and when it comes to us, you know, we want to ask our God certain things too, of course, but I feel like there's a lot of mundane, maybe, things that, that would be good to, to ask the Dees. So, yeah, I just want to say that I think it's very appropriate to ask the Dees things like that and to go to them for advice. Now, I think that they also watch over you, but their, their big role in how we work with them, I think, is oftentimes, you know, asking them for advice. So that's a little bit about the Dees. Now, another thing that I like to do sometimes, um, as you probably know listening to this podcast, I am probably what you'd call a religious person, you know. I think the gods actually exist as self-aware entities, and I think the Dees actually exist as self-aware entities, as well as the Landwides and the Alphar. But I know everybody doesn't agree with that, and even if you're a very religious person, I think a very useful technique is to say, what if this religion stuff was just totally wrong? What use is in this story now? What use would these entities be then? And that lets you understand the first level of the entity. You know, you can't use the excuse, oh, it's magic, and, you know, go on. You have to actually sit down and understand the first level of the entity. Um, And then I think there's deeper levels past that. So let's say you didn't believe in the religious side of it, and you're like, well, then the Ds are silly, right? Well, you know, actually, they're not. I think that's another interesting thing about this, because the Dees are your grandmotherly spirits. They're actually your grandmothers. Now, if you remember your grandmother or your great-grandmother, or perhaps stories of her have been passed on to you, that's another way we can learn. This is another advantage of embracing our ancestors and those who come before us. That's another way you can learn, you know. How did your grandma act? What stories did she tell you? Um, it is really useful to be able to learn from the stories that your grandmothers told you. I mean, grandmothers classically tell stories. I mean, most people's grandmothers have told them stories, you know, about the family, about themselves, given them tips and tricks, you know, taught you how to can, maybe. I don't know why I picked canning. That's just something my grandma did. And I don't know how to can. Um, it's not one thing I learned from her. 
uh, taught you how to hunt mushrooms. My grandma did teach me how to hunt mushrooms. We would hunt morel mushrooms down in Owen County where I live and just spend hours doing it. And she taught me uh, things like the woods is a beautiful place and also a fun place. You know, these are stories that I've picked up from my grandma and every the listeners out there have certainly picked up other stories just as just as valuable from their grandparents. So even if you don't think the Ds exist, if you think you just disappear when you die, we're still learning from them. Even though my grandmother has passed on, her lessons have not. And that's how it, you know, purely physically without any of the spiritual stuff works. But that's that's the core of the Ds here. Now I think if you believe, like I do, that, that there's a spiritual component in your grandmother's or great-grandmother, whoever the Ds are in your case, are still watching over you, it just emphasizes that point even more and makes that point even more powerful because they can still tell the stories. They can still pass on the lessons from the past to you as long as you're open to letting them do that. But that's really what the Ds here are, more than anything else, in my opinion, anyway, you know, I mean, they definitely are these female spirits that watch over you, but I think it's the stories and the advice that they give you um, that makes them so powerful and just sort of like wraps up who they are. So that's that's the Ds. And I should say to um, uh, cover my bases, so to speak, they're very connected to Frigga um, for kind of obvious reasons. And they're also very connected to Freya. And I think the connection to Freya is interesting because we remember that Freya was also very connected to um, safe magic or working with the dead, which was a magic that was primarily practiced by women. Now, I, I do believe that men could probably also practice it, but it seems as if it was mostly practiced by women or maybe they had more of an inclination to do it. Maybe they're naturally talented at it. I don't know. That's just kind of what I get from the sagas. It is usually women who are doing the actual ceremony. But I don't think that means that men necessarily could never do safe. But any, anyway, back to the point. Safe magic is um, basically dealing with the dead, communing with the dead, talking to the dead, sending messages to the dead, stuff like that. And um, the goddess most associated with that is Freya. And I think that's why it also makes sense that she's associated with the Dees, because, I mean, the Dees are the dead. They're taking a more active role in the land of the living, but they, they are the dead. They are ones who have passed on. So, I just I just wanted to mention that I suppose. All right, so that's that's most everything I think I wanted to say about the D's. Uh, so what I'm going to do on it, or what I'm going to do now is move on to another topic, which just really makes sense with this topic, which is ancestry. Because who are the D's? They're your ancestors, right? So, and what are they doing? They are teaching you. So we're going to kind of explore the ancestors topic a little bit more. Now you have two major groups of ancestors. Um, the first group is the ancestors that were good, honorable people. Okay, that's your first group. 
Your second group is the ancestors that were not so honorable. So let's talk about both of these groups separately. I guess the easiest one is the good honorable people. And I'm sure if you look at your entire history of ancestors, you have those people in there. Um, if you look at just your direct family, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Hopefully you do. I think most of you will because most pe people are basically good. So chances are you have good people in your family. You know, maybe they made a mistake here and there, but they're good people. Most of us are in that situation. Um, so let's say you have good, honorable ancestors. Well, what you really want to do with that is, you know, honor them at bloat. We have an ancestors round. At bloat, you know, hail them. Thank them for what they did. Uh, realize that it is because of them that you are here. Actually, with either type of ancestors, it is because of them that you are here. You know, without them, you really wouldn't be here. But realize that they've given you a good name. And, you know, another thing is you can learn from them. You can emulate them. You can read their stories. You can see how they live their lives. And you can, you can emulate that. You can see the qualities that they have and bring those qualities out in yourself. Because remember, these people share your genes. Their blood runs through your veins. I mean, genetically, you're very connected. You're very similar. You have very similar genetics. And if we're talking about your parents, you have very similar environments. Because, or if you're talking about uh, siblings, it's even more obvious. But, you know, these people, your parents, created a certain environment because everybody creates a certain environment and um, that lets them pass on certain parts of themselves so what I'm trying to say is in all likelihood you probably grew up very similar to them you know their parents gave them a certain environment and they gave you a similar environment so you probably, you know, if these are the good, honorable parents, you really have all the tools. You have the environment and you have the genetics to be just as honorable as your parents. That's what I'm trying to say. If your parents and your ancestors are honorable, you have the same tools to be honorable. So embrace that and say, you know what? It's going to be a little easier for me. And, you know, don't use it as an excuse to be lazy. Don't do that. But say, you know what? I've got these tools at my disposal. I have no excuse to not be a good person, so I'm not going to be a bad person. I'm going to be a good, honorable person. I'm going to make my family proud. I'm going to make my ancestors proud of me. Um, and, you know, listen to the stories. Listen to all the stories they tell and find out what are those life lessons that they're passing on, because there will be life lessons there. So that's what you do if you have honorable, you know, good, honorable ancestors. You honor them, and you learn from them. You honor them, and you emulate them. You see what made them successful, and you do it yourself. So let's talk about the other one. Let's say you have <clears throat> less than honorable ancestors. And you know, people do. No, no family line has only wonderful people in it. Well... So there's some questions that you have to ask first. Are these people dangerous? 
you know, by spending time, oh, and, and with the honorable ancestors, obviously spend time with them. That's how you're going to hear the stories. So, okay, let's get back to these less than honorable ancestors. I still think you should spend time with them if you can, but you have to ask, are they dangerous? And, you know, this is a serious thing to ask if you have, let's just say it's your parents, because those are always going to be the closest ancestors. Let's say your parents are actually the type of bad people who may cause you or your children physical harm. Okay, let's say that you have abusive parents and you want your child to be, you want them to be part of your child's life. Well, if you send them over there, is that child going to be abused? Because here's the thing, okay, you're related to your parents and you're related to your kid equally. I mean, it's one step both ways. So you're like, oh, well, I suppose my moral obligation to either side is equal. Well, no, it's not. Because here's the thing. Do you have a moral obligation? I keep saying, here's the thing. I'll try to stop that. You have a moral obligation, you know, to spend time with and learn and understand about your family. Now, that obligation to your parents and to your child is equal because you're equally closely related. But... <laughs> Excuse me. You created your child. Well, you know, you and your spouse created your child. You brought them into the world, and you, by doing that, you know, you could have stopped that process at any point. But by going through with that, you have a moral obligation to act as their guardian. You know, this, this, this uh, little person who's going to grow up into a full-fledged, rational individual is your steward. You have a moral obligation to take care of them by virtue of having them. You know, again, you could have stopped the process at any point, but you didn't, and this person's going to grow up to be a rational individual, so you have the obligation to um, take care of them. And to protect them. Now, if your parents are going to put your child at risk, you really, you really can't take the kid over there. Because the family obligation is equal, so that's a net sum of zero. You have a stewardship obligation to your child, okay? So I just want to be clear, if you come from a really dangerous, abusive type of family, I don't want you to continue the cycle of abuse by having your abusive parents raise your kid. That's what I want to make clear. You know, your safety and your family's safety is paramount. Now, it's the same thing if your parents are um, really violent, you know, they're murderers or something. Will you spending time with them jeopardize your safety? Or, you know, let's, let's do another one that's a little more realistic. What if they're drug dealers? Are you going to go over there to visit, and are, is their house going to get raided and you go to jail? You know, if it is, if you're putting your safety in jeopardy, don't don't do it. You know, don't go over there. You've got a moral, you've got you've got an obligation to yourself too. So what I'm trying to say here, what my point is, is family obligations are big. They are important. They are real. 
but they are not something that trumps your own personal safety or the safety and well-being of your family. So let's say it's the more like the more common scenario where you don't get along with your parents or you don't like them for whatever reason. Let, let's just say they really are bad people. You know, they're, they're not moral individuals and they didn't treat you well. Um, but they're not dangerous. They don't pose any danger now. It's just that they're not moral individuals. Well, you know, an, an easy thing to do and a common thing to do is to just um, completely abandon them. Just, you know, walk away. Be like, you know what? You're bad people. I'm done with you. And never see them again. But, you know, I can't... I, I wouldn't say that's immoral. I wouldn't say that's wrong. I'd even say that I understand where you're coming from, you know? And, you know... In some situations, it is the best thing to do. But generally speaking, I don't think it is. I think it's actually better to maintain a relationship with these family members, even though they're not necessarily good people. And the reason is, you have to admit, you know, and, and if you come from a broken family, it's, it's harder, but you have to admit, you have the same genes as, as them and you have the same environment as them. Just like in the other advantage, and the other example with the good parents, the genes and the environment are the same. You are working with the same tools. The only difference here is it's bad now. You are working with the same tools. So you have to realize, you have to realize that you're working with the same tools, which means if you're not careful, you're going to get the same results. And if you think your parents are bad people, you don't want the same results. So, why I think that you should hang out with your family, even if you don't think they're bad, is because, or if you think they're bad, is because you need to learn from them. You need to watch them. Let's say, let's say they have an anger problem. <clears throat> well, what sets them off? Watch for that, because it's going to set you off, too, and you need to be aware of it. Let's say they have an alcohol problem. Um, maybe you didn't know that as a kid, but now you're hanging out with them and you're like, hey, they've really got an alcohol problem. You need to watch that for that in yourself. And you know, the world's not fair, and that's unfortunate. But some people are more susceptible to certain things than other ones. And if you are one of those people that's susceptible to alcoholism, it, you know, it is genetic and it is environmental, and you had both of those with your parents. So if your parents are alcoholics, you need to watch for it in yourself. And you know, I don't think you should be ridiculous and say I'll never drink a sip of wine in my entire life, but you do have to realize that you're really going to have to work extra hard to do it in moderation. Harder than other people might have to because you don't want to fall into that trap. Or whatever it is, maybe they're just really stupid. And most people aren't stupid in the sense that they're actually unintelligent, like they have low IQs, they're usually stupid in the sense they have no desire to learn. And they'd rather watch television than learn something interesting. And I shouldn't even say television, because there's some educational shows on television. They'd rather watch American Idol than Nova, you know, that kind of thing. Or they, you know, that's... Really, most people in this world have the ability to be very intelligent, but a lot of them, you know, don't. They, they decide to pursue something else. They're like, uh, 
meditation, that sounds hard, I don't want to do that. Reading a book, that sounds hard, I don't want to do that. Uh, learning about Euclidean geometry, that sounds hard, I don't want to do that. I'll just watch American Idol, then get scared because the news is scary. You know, do your, does your family fall into that trap? Is that why you don't think they're good people? you got to watch for that in yourself, because as you get older, and the thing is, it is as you get older, you start noticing these things that your parents did, and you start noticing you do them. And if it's something bad, you know, like losing your interest for knowledge, <laughs> obviously you want to really keep an eye out on that and say, you know what, I am prone to this, so I need to find ways to keep my, myself motivated. So those are sort of the ideas that you would want to spend time with your family even if perhaps they weren't the best people because you can still learn from them. It's almost lessons of what not to do, but it's still lessons that you can learn and there still are stories that you can learn. And you know, nobody is all bad or all good. Nobody is evil. Your parents certainly did what they thought was right and they probably have some redeeming qualities and you can learn from those redeeming qualities, too. You know, you can emulate those redeeming qualities that they have. And you can really watch and be careful that you don't fall into the other bad habits. So it's almost um, a safety thing for you so you don't fall into the same bad habits. All right, so I went over how you share the genes and the environment, etc., etc. Um, learn from their stories. Okay, so another thing, I kind of want to go learn from their stories a little more. This is for both sides, but it's almost another argument for the bad. Okay, because the thing with, with the, like, honorable, good ancestors, you know, your parents are great people. You hardly need mo you hardly need reasons to go over there. You're like, I go over there because it's a joy and it's a pleasure to spend time with them. They're good people. I like being there. So I don't need to convince you people with the good parents to go visit your parents. It's the people with the with the bad parents that are the hard sell because it's a chore. If your parents, I would imagine, if your parents are people that you don't like, it would be a chore to see them. Uh, but here's another um, another thing that both sides benefit from, but it's more of like be an extra reason for the people with maybe parents they didn't get along with. Because I know in today's society, there are a decent number of people who don't get along with their parents. And I think the most common way to do it in today's society is just to cut them off because we can. We're very individual. Uh, especially in this country, America, we're very individualistic. And I think being an individual and an individualistic person is great. But you can definitely take it too far. Um, so, another thing is... It's not just your parents, you know, I was talking about learning from stories. It's not just your parents' stories. It's your grandparents' story. It's your great-grandparents' story. It's your great-great-great-grandparents' story. I was just talking to my mom about my, let's see, great, okay, no, because that's my grandpa. Okay, it would have been my great-great. I was just talking to my mom about a story about my great-great-grandpa. Which you know is an interesting story. Did I learn something from it? Uh, certainly I did. You know, the thing about stories is it's not like you hear them and you're like, I now have knowledge. Boop, 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 boop. Knowledge assimilated. You know, that's not how it works. 
you hear this story, you internalize this story, and I think your brain keeps working on it. And when a situation comes up, you're like, oh, maybe this isn't the right thing. It just feels wrong. You're like, why does it feel wrong? You're like, oh, remember that one guy in that story I heard? It didn't work out well for him. You know, that's more how stories work. Anyway, I heard a good story about my great-great-grandpa. Um, I would have never heard that story if I had, you know, cut ties with my family. If I was like, whoa, I'm never going to hang out with them again. I would have missed out on that story. And that story can make me a better person, I think. Because I've still got the same genes as my great-great-grandpa. And even if I didn't, it's still a good story. There's still lessons to be learned from that. So... That's just another reason, you know, the stories from further back, you're going to get them through your parents. So that's another reason to kind of stay close with your parents and, and all of that, I suppose. Um, another thing I sort of wanted to go over is the idea, and I suppose this gets a little esoteric, but... As, so at the beginning of the world, Odin, Billy, and Bay, you know, they gave life and breath and rosy hue, the intellect, to the first human. It wasn't a person. It was a human. And in case I haven't cleared this up, human, that's a genetic term. We are genetically human beings. So it, a human is just somebody that shares the genes of a human. You can have human epithelial cells. They don't deserve rights. They're just their same genes. Yeah, they're human cells and your human cells, but they're obviously not the same. A person is a rational individual deserving of rights. All right, so this is actually a pretty big distinction. Um, there could be arguments over, for example, a newborn baby, which is not a common argument, but a fetus, you know, it is human because it's the same genes that we are. It is human, but a lot of people would argue it's not a person. And, you know, that makes abortion okay because it's not a person. It's not deserving of rights. And, um, you know, there's some really obvious ones. A human heart grown in a laboratory. Yeah, it's human, but it's not a person. It's not like we can't do anything to it. And then there's all sorts of interesting questions that bring that up. But I want to bring that distinction up because in the beginning when Odin, Vili, and Bay, you know, breathed the life of breath into us, it was a person, I think, you know, a genetically what we are today. Not identical, obviously. But uh, it was, it. I mean, it was a human, I'm sorry. It was a human, you know, genetically what we are today. But it wasn't, it didn't have that spark of that really makes us people. I don't think it had the rationality, which is absolutely key. And I don't think it had a soul. Thing is, those are very connected. And one of these days, I'll probably do a really in-depth soul uh, show on my sort of weird ideas of the soul. Uh, so anyway, what I'm trying to say is... That very first human wasn't a person, but that very first human, Odin, Billy, and Bay gave them life. They gave them the spark of personhood. 
and that first ancestor passed it to their descendants, and so on and so on, you know, all the way to us. So I have that divine spark within myself, and I got it from my mom and dad, and they got it from their mom and dad, and them from theirs, and so on and so on and so on, all the way back to the gods. So this family line, you know, this family line that we follow, will eventually go if you follow it far back far enough. And can anyone do that? No, because it stretches into prehistory. But if you follow that line back far enough, it connects you to the gods. I mean, this is your connection to divinity, is through the family line. And that's huge. That's huge. This is a huge thing to think about. And one of the reasons I like spending time with my family, perhaps, is because by seeing the first part of that family line, by being like, okay, I'm connected to my mom, she's connected to her grandpa, to her dad, he's and his name is this, and he's connected to his mom, and her name's this, and you know, doing that family tree, because you see the lines, you see the connections between the people, and you realize, philosophically, that those lines go back not not forever, but those lines go back far, far, far until there is actually a terminal point where the gods breathe their breath of life into our ancestors. You know, truly that line that I'm following, you know, I followed it back a couple, three generations, that line I followed back three generations, I know that same line goes back all the way to the first person, the first ancestor who the gods gave life to. And that is a powerful realization. It's a powerful thought to realize this little line that's so small compared to the, to the giant web of a family tree. This little line connects me, followed far enough, to the gods themselves. I, I, I think embracing that knowledge is something that can be uh it, it can be a it can be a cool experience i guess you know it can really let you know there's a certain connection you know that that's another part family is an undeniable connection that you have it's a community well it's a family is what it is uh but you know you you always see these things you know it's like oh i'm republican and i like these other republicans or i'm democrat and i like these other democrats and you know these people trying to and for the record i'm neither so don't be offended republicans and democrats uh, no, i'm kidding but but seriously we try to make like these communities out of this belief politics is a big one it's not the only one you also have to be like, oh, I run marathons, so I'm part of this community. Or I watch American Idol, so I'm part of this community. You have, a, you have these people trying to create these communities, which are not really communities. They're big. But, I mean, they're a little shallow in a lot of ways. And I think that's why a lot of times people don't feel satis satisfied by them. Excuse me. Now the community of, of your friends is obviously a more real community because there's like actual interpersonal relationships going on. But these big, vague communities of 
I'm a Republican or I'm a marathon runner. I don't think that those are really strong communities. And I think what we're yearning for is these communities we used to have, which are families. Families used to be so close that it used to be necessary, you know. It used to be necessary just to survive that you'd have, you know, three generations living in one house and however many times that branched off. And it was a real, true connection. I mean, you actually shared parents. You shared grandparents, great-grandparents. You, you shared those in common. And it was a real, undeniable connection you had with these other people. Regardless of what you did, there's an undeniable connection you had. And we, we don't have that in the fake communities that we make today. You know, I'm from Indiana. I mean, I'm part of the Indiana community. That's not real. It's just a line on a map. What's real is your connection to your parents. I mean, that's undeniable. So I wonder if, if all these, like, attempts to be part of communities are not um, trying to recapture that community. You know, I, I feel like in today's society we've become so individualistic we don't want to admit that we're all connected you know, the first most obvious way to our ancestors. We don't want to admit that we owe our existence to someone else, but we do. We owe our existence to our parents, uh, but we don't want to admit that. So we just like, oh, no, I'm going to be part of this community that I made. It's my community. I chose to join it. And I think maybe we're losing, losing something of the community that we are naturally a part of, which is our family. And maybe we're trying to fill it with something else. Anyway, that's just you know, that that's that's a bit of a tangent. Now you don't have to agree or disagree on that, but it's just an idea. What I do think is true and and undeniable is that there is a connection between our families. You know, it may only be genetic, but that's still a connection to our ancestors. So. Um, um, and another thing I sort of wanted to talk about is just the idea that, you know, you've got your families, and uh, so back in the day, we did more oral tradition. You know, we would do a runestone, maybe a grave marker, something like that, that would be written. I don't think we did not have language. I don't think it was never, ever used. But most things were oral traditions, and I'm not suggesting we go back to an oral tradition. It's horrible. It's not horrible, but I like the written tradition. It's more permanent. It's easier to spread to lots of people. But I think the oral tradition is really powerful. I think it's a really... And I don't know why it is. Maybe just because everybody tells it a little bit different. It feels a little more organic, a little more alive. You know, uh, uh, things that are written down are a bit sterile. Then again, you read Steinbeck. You're not going to call him sterile. But there is a certain warmth that comes with the oral tradition. So I, I like the oral tradition. And you imagine, you know, our ancestors that passed that down were really helping their families out. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is another advantage of this looking up towards your ancestors. Is if you think about, you know, your ancestor. Let's just say, and this is a random number. It's not actually true. I'm just pulling a number. Let's say you have three life-changing experiences. Everybody has three life-changing experiences in their life. 
so if you're like, Buh, ancestors are dumb, forget my parents, and you know, you're back in the day and you wander off, you're going to have three life-changing experiences. So three leaps forward. But if you're like, ancestors are cool, I want to learn about them, you're going to have three yourself. But you're going to hear about the three that your parents, the three that your mom had and the three that your dad had. Uh, so there's six. You're going to learn about the three that their parents had. You know, the three three from all four of your grandparents. You're going to learn about that. So there's a bigger number. Then the really, really powerful ones that your your older ancestors have, you're going to learn about that. So you're going to have the advantage of all these life experiences. You didn't go through them, but you you heard them, you learned the lessons in them, and because you honor your ancestors, you will listen to their stories, you will hear their life and life experiences, and that will enhance your life in pretty significant ways. So that's another advantage of this whole ancestor thing and honoring your ancestors, that you're going to learn from their past as well as your own. So, I mean, it's important. Okay, a couple things. Alright, there's always the thing, family will always help you. Pretty much no matter how bad you screw up, your family's going to help you. Now, that's usually true. For people with jerk parents, that is usually true. Some families really won't help you, and I think that's inexcusable. And not like you screwed up, just like they're jerks. Anyway, but for most people, family will always help you. Again, reinforcing that idea that there's just this natural community and connection. Uh, last thing I want to mention is just a little thing. Motivation for better living. <clears throat> so you kind of think about that family name. You know, do, do, do your parents give you a good family name or a bad family name? You know, if they give you a bad family name, you have to improve it. And if they give you a good family name, you have to keep it in good shape, so to speak. Um, so by honoring your ancestors, it really motivates you to be a good, honorable person because you want to, you know, improve the family name or keep the family name in, in good standing. The way you do that is by be, being an honorable person. Um, and that's a really huge advantage. And, you know, your motivation may be, oh, I gotta watch out for the family name. That may be your motivation. But the results are being a good person. The results are living an honorable life. You know, you're like, well, this, I don't know, drug dealer is pretty cool, and I want to take some drugs with him. Because <laughs> this is how people talk in my mind. I want to go to the drug dealer and take some drugs. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, okay, so this is a little creative, but bear with me. If you say that, I want to hang out with this immoral person, and, and I don't think taking drugs is an immoral thing to do, but it is illegal. You know, that's why I don't do it, because it's illegal. Um, but I don't want to sound like I'm saying taking drugs is immoral. What I'm saying is, generally speaking, if you think of drug dealers, there is a certain lifestyle that accompanies that that does not um, emphasize moral truths as imperative, perhaps. 
So anyway, uh, let's say thief, because that actually is immoral. So it's like, oh, well, I really want to hang out with this this thief guy and go rob some houses with him. Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, but I can't because I have to keep the family name intact. Well, your motivation may be keeping the family name intact, but the results are you don't go to jail. The results are if you have children, you know, this is always a big thing to think about. If you have children, your children are not around thieves and drug addicts because you're, because you're keeping your family name intact. But if they were around thieves and drugs addicts, how are they going to learn from that? How are they going to get help? What will happen instead is you're like, okay, well, I'm going to hang out with honorable individuals and intelligent individuals and, and compassionate individuals because that's good for the family name and that's the person I am upholding the family name. And then your kid, you know, they can't go for help. They can go for advice on a loan. And these people will actually know. They can go for um, how to expand their minds, how to meditate, uh, suggestions on good books to read, you know, and not just also true ones. Maybe you, you're an honorable person. You hang out with non-Austrian people. Maybe there's a good book, Buddhism book they want to learn. And maybe they'll learn something from that. But if these are good, honorable people, you know, how should I approach a situation? That can be something that they they answer. Um, but if you're trying to keep your family name clean, you are hanging or, or in good shape or repair it if it's damaged, you're hanging out with good people, which is a better environment for you and your children. And, you know, that's huge. So people, you know, I think there's often this idea of, oh, watching out for the family name. Ah, it's an old 50s thing. We don't do that anymore. We're more modern. But, you know, you shouldn't be. You should try to um, keep your family name clean, so to speak, because the results of that are being a better person and living a better life. You know, as much fun as it might be to rob houses with Billy House Rob, <laughs> Billy House Rob, anyway, as, as fun as that might be, you're not going to live a good life doing that. And, you know, I think that's a reason our ancestors and our gods uh, emphasized, you know, keeping the family name intact. Or, or really, what they emphasized was um, respecting your ancestors. Because if you respect your ancestors, you can't hang out with Billy House Rob because he's not a moral individual. And it, it would not be respectful to your ancestors to go rob houses with him. But by respecting your ancestors... You're also respecting yourself. That's kind of how it is. To treat everybody in the world with respect is also to treat yourself with, with respect. So that's 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 an important thing. And you know, also with the Ds, if you keep in mind the Ds are watching out for you, you know that might give you some comfort, but it also makes you think, well, the Ds are watching me too. And you know, if if they are not. And I'm sure that these are not omnipresent, watching you every second of every day. But a question, when you're doing any action, you know, would you be okay if your ancestor saw you? 
is the thing that you're the thing that you're doing would it bring shame to your family and if the answer is yes you probably shouldn't do it and you probably know you shouldn't do it so you know there's a lot of reasons uh, a lot of what we're doing with the honoring our ancestors and would the ancestors be okay with this type questions is really externalizing our own thoughts would I be okay with this because you know everybody knows if your ancestors are a bunch of a bunch of criminals and and you say would would my ancestors you know let's just say how one side of your family is is a bunch of criminals and the other one is good people and you're like about to rob a house and like would my ancestors would this make them proud you're not going to be like well the criminals would be fine with it what you'll say is no the other side would not be fine with that or no the criminal ones realized they were making mistakes because they know that's bad. They know it's wrong to rob. They would be disappointed with me, even because they'd see that I'm making the same mistakes as them. Is that what they think? I don't know. Probably. Maybe not. But when you ask these questions, would this make my ancestors um, proud of me, or would it bring shame to my family line? A lot of what you're doing is ex externalizing your own thoughts, but you know it's a good technique to externalize your own thoughts. And, you know, if you really want to know what the ancestors think, you could always ask them. I think working with your Ds would be the best way to do that. And is that just externalizing your thoughts again? The atheist would certainly say yes, and my response would be, no, I don't think so. I think it's actually asking. But if it gets results, it gets results. You know, anything we can do to examine our actions on a deeper level is a good idea. Okay, so I don't think it's been quite an hour, but it's been pretty close to an hour. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Let me just conclude by saying your ancestors are important and the Ds are important. Uh, the Ds here are just your female ancestral guardian spirits so to speak who sort of watch over you so you know take some time to honor them to remember them to deal with them you know ask them for advice I, I think they're they're willing they're willing and eager to give it so ask your D's for advice um, and respect your ancestors but also respect yourself so with all that said thank you very much for watching and next month hopefully i will get laura on um the whole baby thing i haven't got my schedule quite down again so i'll get back into the swing of things soon and we'll get laura back on to finish up the have them all but until then everyone have a good time for